Last week, we kind of took it easy on ourselves by talking about the parable of the leaven and the loaves. And this week, for some reason, um, I did what I never do. I, I bit off more than I could chew with this parable of the workers in the vineyard. And I was, I was telling the story to my boys and to Sarah a couple nights ago, and Josh goes, what? That is ridiculous. That is not okay. How could somebody... We'll see what your reactions are shortly. So we're, we're kind of doing a, we're doing a series that isn't a series on the parables of the kingdom because you know how summer is. Everybody's in and out over summer. And so we thought, hey, if we take one parable at a time, then it could be a standalone thing with a thematic element to it. So that's what we're trying to do. And I, I always end up doing this thing where I'll have this parable that excites me uh, let me just say this, okay? Everybody's kind of listening now. I do not have an agenda in choosing this parable or any of these parables. I simply want to let them say whatever Jesus wants them to say to us and to the original hearers. And I think it's fun and fascinating to look at some of the cultural backdrop and nuance and perplexity of, of these different things. So I have no agenda in this. I'm not trying to make any kind of political statement, any economic statement. Maybe a few kind of backhanded theological statements, but I'll try to be careful. That's half true. Um, but I don't have an agenda. You can look at the top left of our Coastlands Value poster. It says, Pursuit of Christ, not agenda. Okay? I don't know who wrote that, but it's true. So, my only agenda in this time is to let us get frustrated by this parable, just like the original hearers would have, and see what it provokes and stirs in us. So on that note, we should probably pray, right? Jesus, thank you that you love us enough to frustrate us and to shake us out of our boxes and to um, lovingly and sometimes gently upend our worldviews so that they can more fully align with your heart and your desires for who you are, who the Father is. And thank you that that always happens in the loving embrace of the Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, would you couch this space with your presence, with your love? Would you be the one that leads us into all truth and teaches us all things? And may we come through the other side of talking about this parable with such a great awareness of the Father's goodness towards us. For your kingdom's sake, we pray. Amen. So instead of, this parable is found in chapter 20 of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. And it's kind of important what it comes on the heels of, but we'll not talk about that first. What I need to do right now, by the way, these are not grapes. They look like grapes, don't they? Anybody know what these are? Those are mustard seeds that are zoomed, <laughs> zoomed out of proportion. <laughs> um, Hey, sometimes you do what you can for the sake of graphics, right? So, so those are mustard seeds. Um, instead of reading the parable, what we're going to do is, yeah, we're going to be the parable. And I know some of you guys always love this, and some of you are like, seriously, can you just read it to us? But I feel like there's some people that just want to make some money this morning. So I need a... I'll be the landowner because 
I need a pin, actually, though. Somebody have a pin I can borrow? Um, all right, so I am this landowner. I'm a vineyard owner. I have a steward, and I'm coming out to find some workers because I realized that I need to harvest this crop imminently, really, really quickly. So what I did is I got up in the morning, and around 6 in the morning, I went and I found two willing workers they were standing in the marketplace ready to be hired for the day. Um, so who are my first two workers that are eager to be hired for the day? Come on up. Don't wait for me to come get you. I just need two workers. All you have to do is stand here. They don't, we don't have any grapes for you to pick. All right, Rachel, we need one more. Rachel and Larry. All right, so I, get, I have a feeling we're going to work our way back from Rose. Um, all right, so... So you two go off to work. Why don't you head over there and start harvesting some of our crop? Um, so, so they're getting to work. And a few hours later, I realized, wait a minute, I totally underestimated how many helpers I needed. So I go back at 9 o'clock, and I hire two more people. So who are our 9 o'clock workers that just got out of bed and found their way to the marketplace? All right. Hey, that's, never mind. Don't even think that. Um, so here's our two 9 o'clock workers that got out of bed and they're ready. Go ahead and join them over there. They've been working for three hours, working hard. So I realized, wow, I've totally bit off more than I could chew. There's, this is a way bigger harvest than I thought. So I go and I find two more workers and I need two more. So this is 12 o'clock now. So half the day is already gone. By the way, I'm going to have a couple more rounds of this. You could be thinking already that I'm going to be asking for some more people. So. Cool, Nick and Keith. So we have two more workers that join us at noon, and they head on over and they start harvesting. And I realize, wow, there's still more to be done, and this isn't enough hands. So I come over, and I find, what time is it now? It's 3 o'clock. So the day is almost done, because we have to stop working at sundown. So I need to not kick over this coffee or tea. I need two more workers to join them at 3 o'clock over there, from this side of the room. Cool. Doug and... Anybody that's a math person? All right, come on, David. So Doug and David join them over there. It's very important that you all help me remember who comes at what time because I've already lost track. All right? So help me remember. So two more workers join them over there. And finally, I realized, wait, there's still more work to be done. It's almost 6 o'clock. It's 5 o'clock. We have about an hour left in our workday. And... Somehow I find these two people that have stumbled out of bed late afternoon and I hire them, actually I come up to them at 5 o'clock and I say, hey, what are you doing still standing around here? And they say, nobody's hired us. So apparently they were willing to work, they just hadn't been hired. Okay, well, would you like to come join? I promise that I will pay you what is fair. Are you on board? Okay, so what I need you all to do, now I, in, in my haste, embarrassingly, in my haste to get them out to the harvest, I forgot to let you in on a conversation that I had with our first two workers, Larry and Rachel, okay? So Larry and Rachel, what I told you that they didn't hear, right, was that we agreed to a wage for the day, didn't we? Right, say yes. So we agreed to a wage of, you ready for this? $240 for the day. 
I'm paying pretty well. Because if you multiply that out times five times a month, then you're looking at sitting right under five grand. It, that's about what would work to live on the Central Coast, right? With payments and stuff like that. So I'm feeling very generous, very abundant. So $240 for the day, which is not the modern day equivalent of a denarius, by the way, which is what they were given in Matthew 20. A denarius would be just enough. They could probably survive for about two or three days in terms of food and what would need to be paid for. They could maybe survive on that, but they would need to earn it day by day. Otherwise, they're coming home with no food for their family. Okay? So I'm feeling very generous. $240 is what I promised to Larry and Rachel. The rest of you, I didn't say that, did I? No. I simply told them that I would pay them what is fair, or translation would be what is just, what is right. It's actually the same root word in the Greek as our word for justice and even righteousness. I will pay you what is right and legitimate. And so obviously they trusted me and they agreed. Now, in this parable, there's a few different questions we could be asking, like why on earth is the wealthy landowner going out and hiring the people on his own, right? That's one question. Wouldn't he have a manager that would do that? One question we could ask is, why does he need to go back so many times? Wouldn't he just hire all the people that he needs up front and have it figured out? Doesn't he know what he should be doing and how many people he's going to need to hire? Well, apparently not. Another question we could ask is, were all these people standing there in the market ready to work at the same time? and I only hired a few of them, and then I came back and wanted to add on more as I realized that there was more work to be done? Or was there something else going on? Guess what? I don't know. But this is where it starts getting interesting. They're all working. They've agreed that I will pay them what's fair. And so then, Jesus has this landowner do something really... Well, you can tell me what it is. So... He calls his steward over, um, Seraphela. Will you volunteer to be the steward? <laughs> I belong to her. Um, so this is what I need you to do, steward. He's a cute steward. Um, this is what I need you to do. Starting with the ones I hired last, I need you to sign these checks over to them because it's time to pay the piper. So, the ones we hired last were Chris and Pamela, correct? So Chris and Pamela, you're about to get your wages because it's time for them to go home. So keep in mind, they've only worked an hour. And then Sarah goes and pays the next people, Doug and David. So everything's all good and right and fair in the world, right? They're all getting paid what's fair. So give her a moment to make her payment. You can just put their first initial. All right, so who's been paid? So, all right, show me the money. All right. How are you guys feeling? Can't talk about it yet. <laughs> Those are real Coastlands checks, by the way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that would be fun, wouldn't it? Hey, by the way, put some money in the black box, and we're going to give it away for a silly sermon illustration. 
About $4,000, <laughs> yeah. We'd get a lot more volunteers a lot more quickly. <laughs> you don't get a cut. That's another parable. <laughs> All right, so Larry and Rachel, uh, take a look. What did we get? 240, are we okay? All right, so now here's the question. Do you think that everybody would kind of keep to themselves how much they were paid? If, <laughs> yeah. So for Larry and Rachel, they probably did some math. They said, all right, we're working, what, what's 12? 240 divided by 12 is 20, right? So $20 an hour, that's not bad. So they probably heard how much Larry and Rachel are going to be paid. So how much do you think that Pamela and Chris are expecting if they're working an hour? $20. Chris, Pamela, would you really subtly um, do a humble brag about how much your paycheck is for to the rest of the group? What would you do when you saw that? If you're expecting $20 and you see the check, what would you, how would you re respond? You would share it. How much is it for? $240 for an hour of work. Wait a minute. Seriously? Stuart Income Stand with me. I'm, I think that's a good name. Um, $240 for an hour of work. Doug and David, how much is your check for? Do some math. How much did you get paid an hour? Not bad. Hummel, two of the Hummel girls, how much did you get paid an hour? Okay. So, now think about this for a minute. You are in Larry and Rachel's shoes. You've worked hard in the blistering Madeira heat. 115 degrees in a drought, so there's no water available for you to drink. Okay? You're out in Madeira. <laughs> We're laying the check on your corpse. <laughs> no, that's not funny. Um, but so they're working for 12 hours in the blistering valley heat, picking these grapes, and they get paid $240. And then they find that the people that came at 5 o'clock also get paid $240. How do you think they're feeling? How are you feeling? <laughs> really bitter. What's the last thing you said, Larry? Not real happy with this dude. How would you all be feeling? Not fair. So here's the question. What's unfair about it? So what, Larry and Rachel, did we not have an agreement? that I would pay you $240 for your day's work? Have I done anything to break our agreement? Have I done anything to dishonor you or to cheat you or to swindle you? No, I haven't. But yet, you most likely would find this real intense frustration rising up in you, wouldn't you? Right. Yeah, so that's what some people say about this parable is that anybody that knows what they're doing, they see this owner coming the next day, and they go and hide, right? 
and then they see them come around at 5 o'clock, and they're like, ooh, ooh, pick me, here I am, I'm ready to go. Except that wouldn't happen in this culture, you know why? Because this is an honor and shame culture, and I haven't done anything to legitimately frustrate these two so they cannot, within their cultural paradigm, go and badmouth me to anyone around them. Why? Because I have honored our agreement, and it would be shameful for them to ruin my reputation for something that I did not deserve. So they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? Unless they deal with whatever that thing is in their heart. So we look at the passage of Scripture really quick, and then... You can, yeah, you're done, Stuart. You guys can stay there if you want. <laughs> stay there and enjoy your money. So let me just show you that I'm not making this up, all right? This is the parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Actually, I do need you guys to, I need some of you to stay because we're going to talk more about you. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, $240, sign me up, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about 9 o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Now this word standing, the phrase standing idle really gives a sense of actually ready to work, but unable to, not having opportunity, okay? He saw others standing idle. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right, whatever is just. When he went out again about noon and about three, he did the same. At about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. He said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us, implying what? They're willing to work. It was simply a matter of circumstance. Is that important? He said to them, oh, you don't have anybody that will hire you? Here, take some money as charity and lose your dignity in the process. Is that what he did? He said, nope, you go work also. Keep your dignity and have opportunity. Now, if somebody hasn't been hired by 5 o'clock, now, chances are either they've stayed in bed all day they're really hungover and they finally make their way out there to show up at the line in the market, or there's something about them that would make people not want to hire them. Isn't that possible? A legitimate hypothesis? So this landowner, he decides, despite the fact that no one's hired them, to bring them on as well. Let's continue with reading it. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last, then going to the first. Isn't that an interesting way to do it? Obviously, he's trying to be provocative here. When those hired about 5 o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they said, thank you so much. We'll be going on our way now. You're so good to us. And then they threw up a middle. No, I'm just um, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, by the way, this word friend is probably the most unfriendly word for friend in the New Testament. 
It's more like, hey, bucko, or buster, or okay, pal, kind of thing. I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go home. I choose to give this less the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious? And some translations say, or are you giving me the evil eye because I am good? So the last will be first and the first will be last. How many of you have read this parable and ever felt frustrated by it? Like what's, what's the general, my wife who is, has a deep justice <laughs> worldview, hates this parable, right? But what are some other reactions when you've read this or even to the story? Imagine yourself in Larry and, and Rachel's shoes. What, what is it? Yeah, Brennan. Yeah, this is a, it's a parable of grace, isn't it? But at the same time, if you'll notice, it's also a parable of judgment. It's both. The question is, is the parable of grace for who and judgment for who? And sometimes grace and judgment are flip sides of the same coin, aren't they? Let's look at, so one of the things that's interesting is most of us read this parable from the lens of a world-class, uh, world-class, middle-class worldview, right? We kind of find ourselves in between the wealthy landowner and the workers. These two would be frustrated, but if we stepped into the shoes of these two who are going home to a family to feed and they still need the same amount of money every day as these other ones to put food on the table and pay their bills, then how are you going to be feeling? Thank you for seeing me, right? Thank you for giving me an opportunity. Thank you for your generosity. Humbled by it. Grateful, joyful, right? Your family would come home. Their family was not be, would not be expecting them to come home with $240, would they? They'd be expecting them to come home with 20 and trying to figure out how they're going to make things work out. By the way, um, I mentioned I'm not trying to make an economic statement, and I, some people think that this parable is actually Jesus' statement to business owners. I don't know what I think about that, but has anybody heard of a guy named Dan Price, uh, the, the CEO of a company called Gravity Payments? Anybody familiar with that name? Okay. So I came across this a couple days ago. This guy, Dan Price, is the CEO of this multi-million dollar company, and he had been getting a salary of 1.1 million or so. He has gotten recognition all over news, all over TV, um, because what he decided about a year ago, he announced to all his employees that he was going to raise the minimum salary of the whole entire company to $70,000 a year. That that was the minimum salary, and that one of the ways they were going to achieve that was that he was going to lower his own salary from 1.1 million to 70,000 as well. So now this guy, and it's interesting because he actually looks like Jesus, or like what we would picture, <laughs> like a, a white Western Jesus looking like, I should say. But, um, but it's been this interesting thing because he's gotten all this attention for doing this thing, for lowering his salary and raising the salary of, of others, and he's also in a lawsuit being sued by his brother. Look up Dan Price, Gravity Payments. Um, What's also interesting is he's now got a $500,000 book deal and gets $20,000 speaking gigs. 
Hmm. So the parallels to the parable only go so far. But it's interesting, isn't it? So because of time, I, I want you to sit and think about some of these different things that this parable makes you think about. But can I just give you a few observations from, from kind of what it stirs in me? I don't know if it's an economic statement or not. I don't know if business owners should go and make everybody have equal pay. I know some people would enjoy that and some people would hate that. Um, I think there's theological things that Jesus is saying here, that it's not about what you do for the kingdom that determines the amount of God's grace you experience in one sense, although that's also untrue in another sense, isn't it? That the way you cooperate with God's kingdom does determine what you experience of God's kingdom, doesn't it? So it's a, it's a both and. But here are some of the things that I think jump out of this parable for me, and then I'll let you think about it and, and maybe even talk about it if we have time. This parable to me speaks of how comparison, how comparison undermines our experience of God's abundance in our lives. Doesn't it? This parable to me speaks of how comparison undermines our sense of God's abundance and goodness in our lives. Think about that for a moment. And think about times that you've been tempted to compare with someone or something lately where you felt like you came up short. Or maybe a time that you felt like you came out on top, but then somebody else still receives a blessing and you found yourself thinking, now that's not fair. The question is, why is it not fair? And on what basis? In Matthew chapter 19, going back to frame this really quickly, the chapter preceding this, if you'll remember, is a story of a rich young man that comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember Jesus' response to this young man? What does he say? Why do you call me good? That's Jesus' first response. Why do you call me good? There is only one that is good, that is God. People are like, what on earth is Jesus saying with that? Is Jesus saying he's not good? Or is Jesus saying we need to reframe your understanding of goodness away from what you can do to earn it and around God's ability to give it and be it? Does that make sense? We need to reframe your understanding of God's goodness away from what you can do to earn it and around God's ability to give it. And then Jesus goes on and has a dialogue with him. And you can read the story for yourself. And then there's another story that follows it. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, but teacher, we've left everything to follow you. Do you remember that? We've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, you have, and I tell you the truth. You, those of you that have left families and property and mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and all these things for my sake will not fail to have a hundred times as much and in the next life, eternal life. So that's the last thing Jesus says before he launches into this parable. 
What do you think the disciples were tempted to feel as Jesus commends them and promises them reward for all that they had left behind for His sake? What do you think was possibly rising up inside of them? A little bit of like, ooh, really? Cool. Look what I'm getting. Don't you think for any of them? And Jesus launches into a parable like this. And then, remember, he ends the parable with the master saying, or, so we have the wrong translation up here. It says, or are you giving me the evil eye because I am good? Why do you call me good teacher? Only one is good, that is God. Why are you looking at me with anger and envy? Because I'm good. I think one of the things going on in this parable is that Jesus is trying to upend the world's understanding of the channels through which goodness come to us, our experience, and the merit on which we attain that goodness. Now, you can sit here and listen to me and be like, of course, right? Like, that makes sense but we still have a little bit of that residue in us sometimes, don't we? Anybody? When's the last time that you made a good choice and then you immediately, not, maybe not even immediately, but then expected the blessing from God to come following up? And then on the flip side, when's the last time you made a poor choice and expected the punishment of God to come following it up? Is anybody tracking with me, or is this parable just going like back over to the far sides of the room? Is this parable messing with anybody but me? <laughs> I'll just be honest with you, Laura, I know you have a comment. When I woke up this morning, I was like, okay, is there any way I can not teach on this parable? <laughs> because I don't like what it does to my categories. And I also am concerned with what people are going to think I'm trying to say that I'm not trying to say. All I know is that Jesus is saying, look it, as soon as you compare what you get from me with what someone else gets from me, there's only two places you can end up, better or worse. And what you need to realize is that your journey is your journey. And my blessings I give you are my blessings I give you. And we can be blessed by other people and we can be blessed by God and we can see other people blessed and what do we think? Oh man, look at that place they're living in. Look at how that happened for them. Look how God provided that for them. What's the thing that we don't often keep in mind when we see that thing? We don't see the responsibility that comes with the blessing that God gave them, do we? We don't see the pressure that comes with the provision that God just gave. We don't see the stress that they experienced before the provision came through. And we say, God, how could you do that for them? What about me? And God's like, no, I see you. I've got you. Now let's do this thing for you. It's not about them. Now notice this, because we said it's a parable of grace, but it's also a parable of judgment. Who is it a parable of judgment on? It's judgment on, not you two in real life, but... It's a judgment on the two that were hired first that couldn't allow the blessing they received to not contaminate the goodness they had received as well. You see that? 
they allowed their blessing, the goodness, the abundance that the landowner gave to them, was contaminated because it looked different, wasn't fair, from what those two on the other end had received. And do we ever let that happen in our own lives? Where we let something be contaminated because we're like, well, God, what about? But God, what about? What about? What about? And God's like, remember, no, this is your thing. This is your joy. This is your goodness. Embrace it. Um, I feel like I had one more thing to say, but I don't remember. So, Al, and then we'll... Oh, I know. Absolutely. That's a huge statement. I think that's a good thing for us to end on before, we, before the kids get let loose and we're inundated with energy and life um, and they have more cookies. But I think that's a huge, huge thing is the sense that the playing field is really leveled by Jesus. And if people would stop looking around the playing field and comparing, um, the playing field was leveled by God's goodness and God's abundance not having anything to do with their effort. And that just, um, this guy named Robert Capon, who has a brilliant commentary on the, the parables, he said this, the only punishable sin in the kingdom of heaven is bookkeeping. The only punishable sin in the kingdom of heaven is bookkeeping because bookkeeping is a thing that contaminates our sense of enjoyment, of God's abundance, of God's blessing. And so, so there's this sense of abundance that God is always looking to drop into our laps. The question is, do we see it and are we open to receiving it? Or are we looking around to see who else is getting it, thinking that if, we, if they do, we don't? Do we believe that God has enough to go around? Do we believe that God has enough to go around? So let me pray for us. Jesus, I forgive you for giving us these parables. Thank you for messing with our hearts. Thank you for telling stories in a way that really uproots old ways of seeing that don't function well in your kingdom. Things that would contaminate the blessings that you want to pour out on us constantly. And I ask for all of your kids sitting in this room, myself included, that we would have such an awareness of your abundance and goodness flooding into our lives, regardless of what's going on around us. May we hone in on that, and may our response simply be, thank you for this daily wage that you have given us. Thank you for your abundance. Thank you that there's only one that's good, and that means any facet or expression of goodness that comes into our lives comes ultimately from you. So may our senses be honed to see that goodness and to be a conduit of it to others. For your kingdom's sake we pray. Amen.